Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 46 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Canadian Stalker, an interview with Joanna Petrakis. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is the youthful Joanna Petrakis. Joanna Petrakis is a 40-year-old woman from Toronto, Canada. She is a communications professional working at one of Canada's big three. She is also the co-founder of Lime Out Loud Kids Canada. Prior to exhibiting tick disease symptoms, Joanna Petrakis was a self-described workaholic, a competitive tennis player, and an avid traveler. In 2014, while on a wine tour with friends, she was bitten by a tick. During the trip, she discovered the tick, but thought she had developed a blood blister on her buttocks. She picked that, but did not remove the tick. Shortly after the trip, she developed a bullseye rash that faded and became a more generalized rash. After the rash disappeared, Joanna said her scary symptoms began. Her scary symptoms started with numbness in her feet, unquenching thirst, and slight dizziness. After three months, she felt like something was crawling across her scalp, and she suffered dizziness, insomnia, arthritic pain, and anxiety. Finally, she developed auditory sensitivity, vision issues, and became bedridden when she lost feeling in her legs. Joanna's symptoms caused her to visit 18 doctors without symptom relief or a diagnosis. Then she scheduled an appointment with an internationally renowned doctor named Ho Ping Kong, who diagnosed her with Lyme disease. Joanna's treatment journey came to a conclusion when she and her friends began stalking the renowned American doctor, Richard Horowitz, at various Lyme disease symposiums until he agreed to accept her as a patient. Hello, Joanna Petrakis, and welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. So, Joanna, most of our guests have shared with us that they've essentially lived two lives. Their first life was the life they were living before they made contact with the tick, and then a separate life after they contracted a tick disease. Can you share with us what your life was like before you contracted a tick disease? Sure. Um, so before I got sick, my life was quite busy, is the one way I would describe it. So. I lived on my own. I lived in a condo on my own. I was working full-time at a communications company, one of the big three here in Canada. And I would, now looking back, I can honestly say I was definitely a workaholic. I was always striving for sort of the next position at my company. I've been there now 16 years. So I, it was always, you know, every two years I got a promotion or was moving on. So I definitely worked really, really hard to get to, you know, where I am at least today. I played tennis. I was an avid tennis player playing competitively as well. Um, loved doing that. Avid swimmer. Definitely going on vacations quite a lot. Spending a lot of time in Niagara with my friends. Traveling a lot with them. Every weekend we would, you know, sort of go out, go dancing, have, have a lot of fun. Spent a lot of time with my family, my nephews and nieces. And really just living what I thought was a pretty great life. Dating, um, had, a, had a boyfriend at the time and was just really enjoying being sort of unmarried, no children, and just living, you know, a single life <laughs> and doing whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. And relatively healthy, eating pretty healthy. I'm Greek, so we eat a Mediterranean diet, and that's, you know, how I grew up and how I still eat to this day, and was really just what I thought was a great, great life. So when did you begin to show the symptoms of a tick disease? So it was around, uh, let me think, because I could tell you to the minute of when I was bit. <laughs> and the symptoms started coming about two weeks after my bite. So it was late June to early July that I started to have things like uh, numb feet. I'd wake up to one foot numb, and then the next day I'd wake up to the other foot numb. 
uh, and wondering what was going on. And I kept brushing everything off thinking, oh, you know, my father has diabetes, so maybe maybe I have early onset diabetes or I need to go get checked. And then um, I'd start to get headaches more often than I'm used to. I rarely get headaches and suddenly I was getting them at least, you know, every few days or, or every three, four days, um, sometimes more. Blurry vision. Um, I was getting dizzy. Uh, I'd be driving and I'd get lightheaded. Um, every single day I could remember at least one incident of me feeling lightheaded. Um, so those all started happening and I did have uh, you know, the little brown circle that shows up because my tick bit me on, unfortunately, my bum <laughs> on my buttocks. And um, I did have that circle, but didn't know what it was because there was no awareness here in Canada about Lyme disease at the time. And um, I did see a little black dot, but had no idea that was a tick. I thought it was just like a, a blood blister. I thought a mosquito bit me and left a blood blister in me. Um, and I did get a rash. And for the time that I had the rash, which lasted two weeks, I had no symptoms other than the rash. It actually all started when the rash went away. So that was, yeah, two weeks after June 14th of 2014 is when all my symptoms started happening. And where it got really dramatic is because um, I'd gone to Vegas um, with some friends for my birthday uh, and felt fine. Um, and then when I got back, which was literally that end of that second week, um, that's when I felt I was sitting at home. I, I remember looking back on my emails to my boss and I usually go in the office and I had emailed her for like the third or fourth time in two weeks saying, I don't feel great. I'm going to stay home today and work from home, uh, which thankfully is an option at my job. So I noticed I was doing that a lot. Um, felt like I was getting the flu or, or just not feeling a hundred percent. And then uh, what really caused me to end up going to the hospital is I felt like something was crawling across my scalp, like a, a centipede. And that freaked me out. I remember standing up from the computer, feeling really, really dizzy, like I was going to faint and immediately calling my mother crying because I just knew something was very, very wrong. And, and she, I've never called my mom crying. And my mom's like, we're coming. <laughs> And they took me straight to the hospital. And um, yeah, that's where it all really started. You began to show symptoms on June 14th, or was that when you were bitten by the tick? That's when I was bit by the tick on June 14th. And how do you know that you were bitten by a tick on that day? <laughs> well, we were on a wine tour in Niagara-on-the-Lake. And um, I remember going back on the bus. It was the last stop. We were at a winery. Um, we hit so many. I don't even remember which one the last one was. We were at a winery and we were actually in the, the fields. Um, and I even have the picture still to this day of being in those fields. And we get back on the fun tour bus to get back on. And I remember sitting down and it was 3.11 in the afternoon. I'll never forget this moment. And I jumped up and I yelled, ow, something bit me. Um, what I didn't know at the time is, I guess, because this had been on me for a little while and I probably just crushed it even more inside me when I sat down because of where it was positioned. Um, and I guess at that moment, because I understand you don't usually feel them, but because I had crushed it, I felt it crunch right into me. Um, and I yelled that out loud. My friend beside me is like, are you okay? And I felt through my dress a bump. Uh, and I said, oh, it must be like a spider bit me or a mosquito or something. I don't know. And I sat back down. Um, and that's when a few hours later, when I got back home to Toronto, um, I took a look in the mirror um, and saw this, what looked like a pimple with a black dot on it. So I can literally tell you to the minute because we got back on the bus around 310. Um, and I, I, so I, 311 was the moment where <laughs> I knew something had bit me and uh, only found out months later that it had been a tick.
Did you remove the black bump that was on your butt when, when you discovered it? No, then? no, because I didn't know. I thought it was a blood blister, so I did not know it was a tick. And I wish there was more awareness here in Canada at the time that these are here and they exist and it's not imag- imaginary. Um, and, uh, yeah, I did not know. I thought it was just a blood blister. I did take a shower. So, you know, uh, if it was – and the next day there was no black dot there. So I just assumed – I had washed off the blood blister. I had no idea. Now, when you indicate that you didn't know anything about ticks, does that literally mean you didn't know that ticks existed or just culturally and educationally, it is not a part of your country's educational process and cultural process where you are talking and learning about ticks? So I've had dogs. I had a dog before. Um, So I knew that ticks existed. I did not know they bite people. I thought they only bit dogs. I don't know why I thought that. It's just an assumption I had made at the time. I always knew you had to worry about ticks on dogs. Um, I did not know that ticks bite people and give them Lyme disease. I was an avid watcher of Desperate Housewives of Beverly Hills with Yolanda. (laughs) And I remember around the time I got bit was before she ever really started talking about her Lyme disease journey and what it meant. I thought she got it from bad water. I assume Lyme disease that she was talking about came from bad water. So I didn't make that connection. And it's because in Canada, there is really very little done by our government or healthcare to really warn people about the effects of it and the risks, because they think it's a very small problem here. After the tick bite, you then noticed as time went on that there was a, uh, a rash in the area where you had been bitten? Yep. What I noticed first was a little brown circle. And the reason why I wasn't concerned is my circle was not like the pictures I've seen. It was like the size of maybe a dime. And it was very faded, like a light brown. And it was, you know, two or three inches away from where the bite was. So I didn't know what that was or think much of it. I just remember looking at that area of my body and going, oh, that's weird. I literally said that to myself. That's weird. And then it was a day or two later that the rash started and it was a pretty dramatic rash. It was, uh, I mean, it it looked like major acne on both of my, you know, sort of butt cheeks. And it was, it was pretty distressing because I I never had acne. I, I didn't know what it was. And I did immediately go to my doctor, my family doctor. She was away. So I did see another doctor in her office and she took a look at it and thought it was just a heat rash and gave me some antibiotics for it, some creams, antibiotic creams, and they didn't help at all. They didn't do anything. And as my symptoms worsened, I did go back to my my personal doctor because she came back from vacation. They did test me for West Nile because at least we acknowledge that exists here in Canada. And she gave me some antibiotics, which actually caused me to have hallucinations. <laughs> they made my symptoms worse and um, it, it, things just went downhill from there. Now, the antibiotics that the doctor had provided you with, they were topical antibiotics? The first one, yes. Topical antibiotics for just a rash, just a hydrocortisone, I guess, cream is what it was at the time. And then you were prescribed the second course of antibiotics that you took orally, which caused the hallucinations? Yes. I think it was clarithromycin is what caused me to have a very bad reaction where I was calling my friends at two o'clock in the morning crying saying that one of the security guards was trying to break into my condo, which was not happening. I just believed that's what was happening. And my friends were all like, what's wrong with you? Something's wrong. Because it started actually to affect my brain. So do you know how long you were on the zithromycin? Was it a Z-pack? That's what we call it here, actually, in New York, a Z-pack. 
Uh, how long? Um, I took it for less than a week. So I think it was only five or six days. My symptoms came on within like a day or two of taking it. Do you believe that it was the antibiotics that were causing the hallucination or do you believe it was the progression of your tick disease? That's a really good question. And I think it was the mixture of both. I don't think that particular drug did well with my body and it didn't help that I was also fighting off this disease. So I, I, I do think mainly, though, it was the drugs. So, Joanna, after your rash and the topical antibiotics, when your doctor ran the West Nile test, she gave you oral antibiotics just to try to treat whatever it may be without having a proper diagnosis at that time? That is correct, yes. And once you had this really bad reaction to the antibiotics and were hallucinating, what was your doctor's next steps to treat you next? So she immediately took me off the drugs. I'll be honest, she said to me, I don't know what to do. This is so unusual. And she actually set me up for an appointment with numerous specialists. <laughs> so that's where I went down this journey of different doctors, different specialists. I was having heart palpitations and so many different symptoms. I basically had two pages of symptoms, but um, she, she didn't know what to do with me. I was in her office crying and saying that I was in so much pain. My whole body was in pain at all times. So she sent me to a specialist for fibromyalgia and she sent me to a heart specialist because I was having um, heart palpitations and it, it, it was actually quite scary. I thought I was having a heart attack all the time. Um, we just kept going and trying different doctors. I think in the total, I ended up seeing about 18 doctors before the final specialist that I went to. Did any of these specialists indicate that this was a mental health issue and not a physical issue? <laughs> of course they did. Yes. Most of them said that one of them asked me point blank do you have friends and I remember sitting there going and this is one of the first ones I saw um, I said uh, yes and he said do you spend time with them and I said yes and he said I think you should spend more time with them and at this point my legs weren't working I wasn't able to you know physically drive or move all that much um, and I, I looked at him and I said you're telling me that spending more time with my friends will get my legs working again and he said, I just think, you know, you need to spend more time with your friends and really enjoy life. That was his, uh, his solution to my physical problem. Just from getting to know you so far, I don't believe that you accepted that as the solution, correct? No, I never accepted. That's why I kept going. That's why I went to 18 doctors. I didn't accept any of them. I, I, and I kept going back to my doctor. And I've learned that it's really, really important to have a really great doctor who believes you no matter what. <laughs> Um, and my doctor's great. Uh, every time I saw her, um, you know, throughout this whole process, she would listen to me and she'd say, okay, let's try the next one. Okay, we'll try another specialist. Okay, we'll try. She just kept trying until we came to a solution because she said to me, Joanne, I've known you for a while now. She goes, you are not a depressed person. I've never known you to come in here without a smile on your face, even when, you know, you're having an allergic reaction to something and your face blows up. She goes, you're still laughing in my office. So there's something wrong. Let's figure this out together. Now, here we are about six months after your tick bite, and you're paralyzed pretty much and bedridden. I needed my family to drive me everywhere to get everything for me. Um, yeah, I was pretty much bedridden um, throughout most of that. There would be some days where I could walk around, but it was very rare. How helpful were your family and friends in the community in supporting you to find a proper diagnosis and, and getting you to doctors and financially helping you in, in those areas? So my family was great, amazing. Um, my parents took me in. I moved out of my condo, moved back in with my parents because I, I couldn't really take care of myself. So I was living with them 
I lived with them for a total of a year until I really started to feel strong enough again to move out again. Um, and my mom, um, you know, any sort of diet that uh, was put on me by any of my doctors, my mom followed it, would cook for me. Um, you know, my dad would go pick up my pills. Um, my sister would call me on a daily basis and check in on me. Um, yeah, it was, I was not in a great place emotionally. Um, I, and I'm not a person who often cries, but I remember crying every single day thinking I was going to die, but, uh, they, they definitely made sure that I was, uh, taken care of and that I was okay. Joanna, at what point did you or your doctor start to think Lyme disease? So I remember it was about, we had seen, I'd seen 17 or so doctors and my doctor, here in Toronto, um, who's my family doctor, said, Joanna, we have a last resort. I'm going to send you to see Dr. Hoping Kong at Western Hospital. Now, Dr. Hoping Kong, I've seen him once before for something that I'd had years before that was unexplained, and he was the only one able to figure it out. He's the doctor doctors send patients to when they're at their wit's end and don't know what to do. Um, he's an integrative doctor. Um, he does internal medicine. He's in his 80s. He's quite famous. Uh, doctors come from around the world just to learn from him, and he very rarely treats patients anymore. Um, he usually sends sort of the people that are learning from him. And seeing him is like uh, an episode, remember that show House? Literally, you go in, and there's about 10 doctors, and he's asking you questions, and he starts asking them questions, <laughs> and then he turns to you and asks them what's going, what they think is going on. So it's, it's like being in a teaching um, room as well. So I said to her, I was hoping you would say that I want to see him. And I literally in my mind said, he's it. Like, if he doesn't figure this out, then I don't, we won't know what this is. And I'm just going to live like this for the rest of my life. Um, so I had an appointment with him. Um, and this was that six months later timeline. Um, he brought me in. Um, he had a room of doctors. And he asked me two hours worth of questions. These questions ran the gamut from, do you live alone? Um, do you own pets? Have you traveled recently? Like, I've never been asked this many questions from a doctor in my life. So, Joanna, was this doctor visit covered by your insurance? Yes, yes. Here you are being interviewed for two hours. Did they come up with a potential diagnosis at the end of that period, or did you have to return for a follow-up visit? So, he did. I was there pretty much all day because he ran, I don't even know how many tests, hundreds of tests, took a lot of blood. He, he was testing for everything. And the funny thing is, I never told him about the bite. I never connected the two because the rash went away. So I didn't know that this was related to the rash because my symptoms came after the rash went away. So I thought this was something completely separate and, and different. So I never mentioned any of that. And he never asked about a bite. And about, I'd say a week later, I received a phone call. And they, the secretary said, uh, Dr. Hoping Kong would like to see you. And I remember calling my boss. I was at work. It was one o'clock in the afternoon. She goes, can you come now? Um, I called my boss and I was so excited because I said, oh my God, like, I think he figured it out. I got to go. And she's like, go. She was very supportive. She said, go. So I went to um, the Dr. Hoping Kong's office and he sort of took a look at me with another doctor in the office with him and said, so um, were you bit recently? And I just remember I had a light bulb moment and I immediately started spewing out uh, June 14th, um, 3.11 in the afternoon, something bit me on the bum. And, blah, 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 and I told him everything that had happened that day in the rash and, and everything. And he looked at me and he said, so you have Lyme disease. And I just remember this moment of relief. And I'm like, he figured it out. And I smiled and I was laughing. And he looked at me and he said, I've never told someone that. And they smiled. 
And I don't think I understood, you know, what it meant that I had Lyme disease. And he immediately said to me, I want you to do something for me. I don't want you to go on the internet. I don't want you to go on anything that talks about Lyme disease. Don't read anything. It's going to scare you. Don't do any of that stuff. He goes, I'm going to give you a drug that's going to make you feel better in 30 days. And he gave me doxycycline, two pills a day, so a regular dose that they give for acne, two pills a day uh, for the next 30 days. And I was just so happy. And he goes, you're going to feel better in 30 days. And now let's fast forward to the end of that 30-day period. How did you feel at the end of those 30 days? Wow. So taking the drugs made everything worse. I remember when I did get diagnosed and I called one of my friends. She's sort of one of those people that you call when something's wrong because she reads so much and her brain can absorb so much that she knows something about everything. And I said to her, I have Lyme disease. She immediately knew exactly what it was, how serious it is. And, and she said to me, okay, so when you take these drugs, just think it's like an army and it's fighting the bacteria. So no matter how bad you feel, you're fighting. So just deal with it, go through it, keep taking the drugs no matter what happens. And I'm really glad she said that to me and prepared me because not only was I bedridden, but I couldn't actually like stay awake period because of the pain I was in. Like my whole body was just, the only way I can explain is like I'd sort of shriveled up and I would just lay on the couch in front of the TV. My parents would have people coming visiting and I wouldn't even know they were there. So those 30 days I got much, much worse. And by the end of the 30 days, when I had my follow-up appointment, I was not better at all. Um, if anything, it brought out other symptoms that I hadn't had before. Do you believe that that was herxing when you started to feel worse? 100%. Now that I know what I know, I know that that's the best thing I could have done for myself at the time. And thankfully, I'm, I'm a pretty tough cookie. So I kept taking the drugs despite knowing that you know, this was happening. And I literally in my mind was just saying, like, I thought of, you know, cancer patients and what they go through and what they put in their bodies, you know, to kill what's there. And it's also affecting your, you know, regular healthy sort of shell of a body. So I just, I treated it that way. And yeah, I 100% know that that was herxing. And it proves that something was going on and, and that I did have some kind of bacteria in me. Did, you, uh, did your doctor warn you about the potential side effect of herxing from these antibiotics? No. <laughs> nope. He just said, you're going to take these. You're going to feel better in 30 days. That's all he told me. But I did research. I, I, and I know he said not to go online, but who does that? <laughs> I immediately went online and oh my gosh, did it scare me. I watched Under Our Skin a few days later. Um, we were able to download it from the internet and watched it. And I just remember turning my friend and said, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like, I'm not going to be okay. These 30 days are not going to heal me. Looking back, knowing what you know now, do you think that some detox protocol would have been helpful during or prior to your treatment? Definitely. Definitely. I should have been doing infrared saunas. I should have been doing dry brushing, taking Epsom baths, all of that stuff. And luckily, I met you know, some people through the Lyme community that actually helped me. So I did start doing that halfway through taking the doxycycline. I did start doing that, taking the Epsom bath at least. Um, I didn't have access to an infrared sauna or able to leave the house, but the Epsom baths did help. And a few strange things happened, which were really interesting in the Lyme community. This woman, Luba, who, you know, started messaging me and saying, watch out for this, be careful of that. You got to get more doxy, you got to take double dose. Like she gave me all this advice and I'm so grateful to her, even just for being there for me through Facebook, which is a wonderful venue or way to get access to this kind of information. But I remember taking an Advil for a headache. And oh my gosh, what happened to me was so traumatic. I started 
crying and freaking out and saying, telling my parents to take me to the hospital, something's wrong, something's wrong. It was making my head feel a lot of pressure as if my brain was trying to push out of my skull. And uh, I didn't know what had caused it. All I remember is taking an Advil before. And I remember messaging Luba, this woman on the Lyme community in Canada, and said, you know, this happened. And she, she said, did you take an Advil? And I said, yes. She goes, was it the blue liquid ones? And I said, yes. She goes, so the blue liquid is toxic to people with Lyme disease. So only take the pills that aren't the liquid ones. And you know what? She was right. Because then I took an, the next time I needed an Advil, I took one without the liquid and didn't have that reaction. Do you know why that's toxic to people with Lyme disease? I don't know why, but I do know you have to be careful if you do an MRI, what kind of liquid they're putting in you, because a regular healthy person can handle, you know, dyes and things. But from my understanding, people with Lyme disease can't handle, because we have chemical sensitivities and other things, putting that directly in our bodies could cause a very serious reaction. So I think it's the dye that's actually in these things, like in the pills and stuff that causes um, that reaction. It's toxic to unhealthy or chronically unhealthy people. So after this 30-day period, when you're feeling worse and you return back to Dr. Ho Ping Kong, what did he say? (laughs) So unfortunately, my father's in the room with me when he said this, which was the worst scenario (laughs) that I could have had. So I'm sitting there and I'm crying and I'm saying, he says, so are you feeling better? I'm like, no. So then he starts asking me, is there any mental health issues that run in your family? And this is like one of the top doctors in all of, you know, Canada, Um, you know, in his 80s. He's written a lot of books on listening to your patients and integrative health and, you know, hearing what they're saying. And for the first time with him, I felt like he's not listening to me. (laughs) And I, I, you know, I looked at him and I, I, I remember standing up and saying, no, depression does not run in my family. I am not depressed but the way you're treating me right now is making me depressed. And I yelled it at him and we laugh about it to this day, (laughs) but you know, he kind of didn't know what to do with me. And he, he came out and said, I can't give you any more doxycycline because I said, I need double the dose. I need it for 90 days at least. That's everything I've read. And he said to me, I can't do that. He goes, because you know, the protocols here are 30 days maximum. I'm not allowed to give you anything beyond that. And I just remember, thank God I'd already known he might say that because I was warned (laughs) that your doctor might not give you more based on the forums I was in. So I was prepared for it. But it still is a really devastating thing to hear. And the fact that my father heard him say, maybe you're depressed, maybe it's mental health issues, you know, led to some tension (laughs) at home, you know, them wondering maybe it is in their head. And, you know, I, I get it. When you've experienced getting sick throughout your life and you go to the doctor and the doctor makes you better. You know, like all my life, I've gone to my doctor, I've gone to specialists for anything that's ever happened to me, even minor things that have happened. They give you something and you get better. And this was my first experience with, we can't help you or you should be better or you have a mental health issue. So when, you know, parents hear that about their child, of course, they trust the doctors and they believe it. So it was a really uh, tense time at home, (laughs) living with my parents. Um, where they weren't supporting my decision to continue on and to keep looking. And thank God I work for the company I work for because we have a doctor at my company. He's the chief medical officer there who's in his 70s. And what I've learned is older doctors are great. They're at the point in their lives where they're like, I'm going to keep doing what's right for my patient. And not that new doctors aren't amazing either, but here in Canada, you will not get a new doctor to help you at all. (laughs) 
But the older doctors who are a little more seasoned and have seen a bit more, in my experience, have been more open to diagnosing, doing the investigating, researching. So I, I did get an appointment with the doctor at my company and said, you know, he's, one, he, he's also considered, you know, one of the top doctors in Canada. And I went to see him and I just remember showing him my lab results, which the Western blot showed um, I was positive. But even Dr. Hoping Kong said, you know, that's not really definitive. The test's not great. <laughs> so he didn't even 100% know for sure in his mind whether I had Lyme disease or not. So I went to, his name is Dr. Gossett, and he literally said to me, oh, you poor thing. I'm so sorry this happened to you. How many doctors have you seen? 10, 12? I said, you're number 19. And he said, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what to do. I don't know, you know, how to help you. I've only ever had one other Lyme patient. He goes, but I'm going to work with you till we figure this out and I won't give up on you. So I remember crying. It was a few days after New Year's at this point. And I remember crying and saying, thank you so much. And yeah, and, and that was my experience here in Canada. And that's sort of where my experience in Canada ended. He continued to support me through whatever I decided to do in the U.S. But uh, that's when I switched <laughs> and decided I need, I need to go somewhere where they know what to do. So let's talk about that pivot. What what made you decide to come to a U.S. doctor? And how did you find the doctor that you ultimately went to here in the United States? So when people say that the universe is looking out for you, I, I believe this for myself. I remember I was visiting my sister. Um, she lives about 40 minutes away from me. I was visiting her, spending time with her and my nephew and nieces. I had been dropped off there by my parents to just kind of hang out with her for the day. And uh, one of her friends, my sister does daycare at home. So one of her friends came by. And she kind of saw me from afar. Um, I was pretty pale, very skinny <clears throat> from, you know, not eating properly um, and not feeling well. And she turned to my sister and said, what's, what's wrong with your sister? Is she okay? And my sister told her, oh, she has Lyme disease. And her friend said, oh, my, my friend's aunt had Lyme disease, but she went to Buffalo, saw a doctor there, and she's actually like back to normal and feels great. And, you know, my sister said, can you like give me her information? Maybe my sister could talk to her and figure out you know, what she can do, possibly see the same doctor. Because from Toronto to Buffalo, it's really just about an hour and a half to two hours at the most. So it's a very easy drive to do. So, you know, I got the woman's information. Her name is Alba. She's become a good friend of mine. I contacted her and we talked on the phone for two or three hours. And she told me about this amazing doctor in Buffalo who helped her. She was about 90% back to normal. She still had lingering symptoms, but was able to go back to work and sort of live her life. At this point, I was completely off work. And she said, you know, I, I really think it's good. You should see her. She's very tough. You know, uh, she, you know, if you don't follow her protocol, uh, she can get very frustrated with you. I remember her warning me <laughs> about this doctor and saying, you know, you just have to, you know, deal with, you know, sort of her not being necessarily the most compassionate or kindest doctor, but she will get you better. And she follows Dr. Horowitz's protocol. And I immediately contacted this doctor uh, made an appointment and started seeing her over the next full year. So from February 2015 till February 2016, she was my main and only doctor. Now, was she able to help you with your health? Were you able to start to feel better with this new doctor? Yes. Every three months, there was improvements. So she would have me track it. And at the end with her, when I hit a year and I was on a lot of drugs, I took 75 pills a day. And I got to tell you, I, I would say, I, I don't want to toot my home, but I'm a champ. I took those pills. I created a schedule with my naturopath because when you're sick, to create a schedule, to figure out what to eat, to do all that stuff is so hard. And I think that's actually the hardest part 
of trying to heal is you're sick. You can't sit there and, you know, create this calendar of how you're going to take your pills. Like your brain can't even go there. So I had a really great naturopath who said, give me all your pills. I will put something together. I will tell you what you can take with what, what's taken with food, what's taken without. And together, like we built a schedule and I literally like two o'clock, you take this pill, Joanna, five o'clock, you take this pill, but you got to eat food with it. Seven o'clock, you take this. I was taking pills every two hours. I still have this calendar saved on my computer and I actually provide it to other people to help them build their own calendars. But it was a, like, it was a saving grace for me because of that. And the fact that I lived with my parents and my mom followed my diet and would make me special food was so helpful because the doctor in Buffalo put me on a very strict, (laughs) no sugar, no gluten, no dairy diet with, you know, I think it would have been hard to figure that out if I was still living on my own. Above and beyond this doctor, you mentioned in your pre-interview questionnaire that you had some interactions with Dr. Horowitz, a well-known Lyme doctor here from the state. (laughs) Can you give us a little more insight about Dr. Horowitz? Sure. So Dr. Horowitz, I had done so much research and Dr. Horowitz seemed to be at the forefront of this. He seemed to be the number one doctor and, and he was on my list of this is the guy I have to see. Now I'd gotten to the point, it was around February 2017, I had made, sorry, 2016, I had made a decision that I would give Dr. Patel one year, uh, sorry, my doctor in Buffalo, one year to get me 100% back to normal. And if it didn't work, I was going to try something else. And I had plateaued a few times throughout the treatment protocol. So we would get to a point where I'd plateau and she would change it up and put something else in. So it was February of 2016. I had plateaued yet again. And I just felt like I don't want to take the drugs anymore. I'd really like to switch to something else or try, you know, a different kind of protocol or a different kind of doctor. So at this point, I'd already had Dr. Horowitz on the list. I'd already called his office previously, and he had a two-year waiting list. And I remember saying to my friends, I'm going to die before I could see this doctor. What am I going to do? So we started (laughs) driving to wherever he was is the only way I can describe what happened. So I would find out he was at the Omega Institute (laughs) in New York. And I said to my friends, let's go to the Omega Institute. And they're like, okay. I go, I have to meet Dr. Horace. I have to talk to him. I have to get him to be my doctor. So we went to the Omega Institute. He was presenting there with a few other, um, a homeopathic doctor and a naturopath. And I said, you know, we sat in the front row. And what's funny is we were giggling. Me and my friends were giggling. My naturopath actually came to learn from him too. And she actually treats Lyme patients now in a natural way. And we're all giggling sort of in the front row. Um, And I will say, thank God for my friends and family because they had me laughing throughout all of this. Even on the bad days, they would find a way to keep me sane and calm and, and, and sort of make something funny come out of something horrible that was happening to me that day. So we're laughing in the front row. And the most miraculous thing happened. Dr. Horowitz got up from the stage he was on, walked over to us. And first thing he said to us, you girls are having too much fun. <laughs> and all of us just stared at him with this blank look. Nobody spoke. It was, the, it was I wish there was a video camera to record it because we were just like, hi. It was like meeting a movie star <laughs> and you don't know what to say. And, he, and we're like, oh my gosh, Dr. Horowitz. And he's just like, you girls are having way too much fun. And uh, he talked to us for a few minutes. Where are you from? We're from Canada. My naturopath talked to him, said, oh, I'm, I'm here to learn from you. We had a really great conversation. And he went back and sat down. And I just remember sitting there going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. We have to do more. So this is the, the coolest thing that happened. So it was lunch break. And Dr. Horowitz's wife was there. He was walking around with her. And we were sitting at a table. 
And my friend goes, Dr. Horowitz, Dr. Horowitz, come, come, come sit with us, come sit with us, come sit with us. And she got him to sit at our table. And that's how sort of this started. And he was sitting with us. Uh, we were making him laugh the whole time. He was having a great time with us. His wife was very, very sweet. And that's how we sort of started opening up a, a sort of relationship with him. And then, you know, the rest of the weekend, it was a two-day seminar. So that, that sort of ended. Then we found out he was going to be at um, a Lyme event in Albany, New York, which is close to where um, he is actually located. So I said, okay, we're going to this Lyme event, this Lyme speaking event. So we went there, again, sat in the front row, heard him and other panel members speak. And during this whole time, we had also started sort of a, uh, an idea about a nonprofit and things. So we were also gaining a lot of information and connections for a nonprofit. So it was a twofold experimenter experience for us. So we're there, you know, we see him again. There was a gala afterwards. We stayed, um, we were kind of hanging out with his wife and, and hanging out with him a little bit. And then uh, there was a third event. So I said to my friend, okay, we have to go to this event that Dr. Horst is at. Let's go. And we would drive because I wasn't flying yet. I wasn't sure what would happen to me on a plane. So we drove everywhere. Lots of mileage, <laughs> lots of driving. Road trips are now my favorite thing to do. And we were at a third event. And I remember he came up to us and said, okay, ladies, are you following me? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, yes. And he said, okay, call my office. Tell them I said it's okay. And tell them I want to see you the soonest appointment I have. And that's how Dr. Horowitz became my doctor. What percentage would you say you were at health-wise when you left your Buffalo doctor and then were seen by Dr. Horowitz? I'd say around 70%, just because of the way I was tracking it. And I really even hate using percentages. I only use them because of the way the doctors track them. But because you have good days and you have bad days, and, you know, sometimes symptoms come back or go away. So you may feel one way, you know, for a little while and then it goes backwards. It's never, you know, as everybody says, a linear process. It goes up and down. So I, but I was back to work. She did get me back to work. So I definitely was more than 50% better because I wouldn't have been able to go back to work if I wasn't. And I was functioning like I was able to do things again. So I use the number 70%. And, you know, all my doctors were saying, maybe this is it for you. And I just remember going, no, I'm going to be 100% better. I know there's somebody out there who will get me there. I'm going to keep going. And Dr. Horowitz was the next one. <laughs> so now that you're starting to go to Dr. Horowitz, can you talk about the health gain you had from seeing Dr. Horowitz and what additional treatment options he used with you? Sure. So he saw um, what my previous doctor had done. He was actually quite impressed with it and saw that she was following his protocol. The one thing he noticed that she hadn't done, and maybe it was coming, was sort of biofilm busters is what he wanted to add in. And so, you know, he said, you know, we need to also kill the biofilm. And based on the symptoms that I was still showing, uh, which included, you know, sort of uh, Babesia symptoms, uh, night sweats and things were still happening. He added in a biofilm buster. For the life of me, right in this moment, I don't remember what that drug was called. Uh, but he did keep me on some of the drugs that um, my previous doctor had kept me on. But she, he did add in this biofilm buster in order to just add something to it. And he felt that would be sort of the, the trick to, to get it all sort of working properly again and, and kill off whatever was left. Uh, he did do some tests through uh, Igenics, and it did show significant improvement in where I was going. Um, and he did feel the bacteria was definitely at a much lower rate than it had been when I first started this based on my older tests that I showed him. And he did add in a lot of naturopathic sort of supplements. I think at that point I was taking at the most about 20 pills a day with him. So in your 
pre-interview questionnaire that we sent out to you that you answered for us, you mentioned that you also used bioresonance as a treatment protocol. Can you talk about what bioresonance is and how that treatment worked for you? Yes. So bioresonance, it's sort of, um, it's a machine. It isn't used by doctors usually. There's some homeopaths here in Ontario where I live that actually use it. Um, There's a few that I know of, one that I went to um, and some other friends of mine through the Lyme community go to some of the other ones. And it's a machine. And what they first do is they sit you down, they put vials in the machine to sort of test what might be going on in your body. So they don't use blood work. They find out through vials. So it's supposed to be sort of the essence of, say, Babesia or Bartonella or Ehrlichia. And they put these vials in the machine and they have you hold on to the machine and they sort of, through the frequencies that they see, they see if that frequency is in your body or not. And if it's in your body, they know they need to treat you for it. So the next step in the bioresonance is putting you in a very comfortable chair because you're going to be there for a few hours and you're going to lay in this chair and they put, you know, sort of these poles, I guess, in your hands uh, and they're attached to this machine. And most of the machines are either from Germany or Austria from the ones I've seen. And they put these in your hands and it's basically sending a vibration into your body to reverse the damage it's done and also to kill anything that's still left there. From our past guests, we've, we've noticed that this treatment protocol can be used to kill the bacteria, but you also mentioned yep. it can be used to reverse the damage as well. Yes. So it does a lot more than that. It actually, because they can treat all kinds of things, not just bacteria. They can treat even just people who have regular food allergies for other reasons. So it's actually also healing you at the same time that it's killing. Um, and there are frequencies that do all of that stuff. It just depends what frequency they, they put on when they're treating you and if you have a lot it could take two to three hours if you only have a few things to treat it could take you know 20 minutes to half an hour and it it's it's really interesting because the effect it had on me was really just draining like I would literally fall asleep and my worst symptom was insomnia throughout Lyme disease like not sleeping and that lasted numerous years um, and only just got resolved more recently in my life but uh I would literally like just conk out and fall asleep. So that's how I knew something was happening because I was wide awake, you know, 90% of the time. You also mentioned that you used soul therapy and that's the first time we've heard of that. So can you talk more about soul therapy and how it helped you? So I knew that I was looking for something more. I was seeing a psychiatrist at the time. It was covered by my insurance. So it was a great option for me. I was seeing a psychiatrist through, you know, some of my Canadian doctors. They did feel that it would be really good for me to talk to someone about how I was feeling and some of sort of the PTSD you start to feel from having Lyme. Even when you start to feel better, that fear of it coming back just really doesn't go away. And it wasn't really working for me. or I wasn't getting out of it what I really wanted. And I knew inside myself I really wanted to find someone who did something more than just psychology or psychiatry, something that was more uh, connected to who you are and what you want out of life. And, you know, again, thankfully for the Lyme community, uh, I've met a lot of wonderful friends through Facebook and some of the communities that are on there. And this woman I know, this woman, Julie, posted, oh, my gosh, I found exactly what I've been looking for. This woman, her name's Vanessa Faria. You know, I just had a generational healing therapy session with her and a soul therapy session. And the stuff that happened was amazing. I came out feeling 
so much clearer than I, I ever did before and feeling like I'm going to heal from this. And, and it was just fascinating. And I remember writing to her saying, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I'm going to contact her right away. And um, she did a consult with me over Skype, talked about what I wanted to deal with. And she asked me, like, what do you, what do you want? to get out of this. And I said, I just don't want to be afraid anymore. Like at this point, I'm feeling significantly better. I'd say about, you know, maybe 80, 85% better through Dr. Horowitz. And, and I said, you know, I just, I just don't want to be afraid that it's coming back. Cause even when I have, you know, an arthritic type pain, I start to freak out. I want to get rid of the anxiety. I want to feel like I can live my life again. And, and those are things I want to work on. And, and she took me on as a client and we worked together for the first time for about three months. And then we did six months. And in total, I think I saw her over about a year and a half in total over that time. And she just, she changed my life. I don't even know how to describe it. Sometimes we'd be sitting in a room and I remember her at some point saying to me, so Joanna, like, what do you like to do? What are the things that really make your body feel alive? And I said to her, oh, swimming, being on the water, dancing, doing all these things. And she looked at me, she said, are you doing those things? And I said, no. And she said, why not? And I just remember looking at her saying, because I can't. And she says, why can't you? Because <laughs> I'm sick. And I remember her going, but are you sick? Like, are you sick where you can't swim? And that moment was really a sort of epiphany for me where I realized if I'm not doing these things, how will I know that I feel better? if I'm not doing the things that make me feel better, just emotionally. And she helped heal the emotional trauma. And, you know, we did some generational healing uh, from my past and any sort of trauma that I've gone through because that all kind of holds in yourself. And I truly believe this now. Never believed in this sort of stuff before. But, you know, this stuff sort of holds in your cells and it prevents you from truly 100% healing from Lyme disease or any other kind of illness because, it, it almost feeds the bacteria. It gives it energy so that it can keep going and it can survive through everything. So for anybody to heal, they really truly need not just the physical, but they need the mental and emotional and spiritual sort of change to happen in them in order to get 100% back to normal. And it is possible. So in addition to the soul therapy, you also tried something called a turpentine protocol. Can you talk more about that? <laughs> sure. So... I had a friend who has Crohn's disease and she used turpentine to keep it under control. And she's one of those rare cases where her, her Crohn's disease had been in remission for, I think at this point, 10 years and hadn't had any flare-ups or symptoms. So she kept telling me, Joanna, try turpentine, try turpentine, try this protocol. So I, I would only do it with her because, you know, it's turpentine. Like it sounds crazy, but it's basically the way that she would do it. She would set up three, sugar cubes for me. And what you would do with a dropper is you take the turpentine. It has to be, you know, sort of a special kind of turpentine, not the ones you get in the paint stores or anything like that. Because this is the type of treatment that was used back in the day, you know, for things like cat scratch fever, which has been around for a really long time, you know, sweat lodges, you know, back in the day, the Indians used this sort of treatment because it does come from trees. Turpentine comes from trees and it is in a sense natural. So she would buy this sort of bio turpentine from a special source and would bring it and she'd use a dropper, put the drops on the sugar cubes and the way you fill them is only until they're soaked, not dripping. And then she would have me eat those sugar cubes and drink 
a full glass of water and continue to drink throughout the rest of the next two days. And I will tell you some very interesting and some scary things did happen during this protocol, which told me it was working. And I do think I had a major herx, especially when there was a full moon, which I know sounds strange, but there was one night with a full moon where I did the treatment and had a very strong herx. But uh, the sugar cubes, from my understanding, the way the protocol works, the sugar cubes are to attract the bacteria. So it goes for the sugar cubes. And then when they go for the sugar cubes, the turpentine kills them. People have been using turpentine to fix, you know, canker sores in their mouths. They mix it with coconut oil and, you know, all kinds of things, illnesses, not just, you know, sort of bacteria or Lyme disease. But I did do that for a good three month period. I would do it once a week. And it did, I did feel better. But because I was doing so many things, it's very hard to say at that point, which one was treating what or what was making the improvements. But I did herx the first two or three times I did the turpentine. So I knew something was happening. And then after that, there was no longer any herxing. So a lot of our guests talk about feeling worse during full moons. Can you talk more about that? Do you understand why that is? My understanding, it's the cycle of the way that the bacteria works. And because it's sort of recycling itself and because it's sort of growing and increasing and, and mimicking, uh, the cycles of the moon are what cycles it works on. And that's with, from my understanding, all sorts of bacteria works this way. You know, people who have different kinds of gut issues and issues in their gut, because we all have bacteria in us. Some is healthy, some is not. And all of it works on sort of the, the earth cycle or the moon cycle. I never had sort of flare-ups with the moon. I kept reading these all over Facebook and reading them on the forums that I'm in and seeing this and, and waiting for it to happen to me, but it really only happened with the turpentine. I never had any strange experiences with the moon, but a lot of the people that I know, it's, it's based on, you know, the sites of parasites um, and the cycles that they go through and when they sort of, you know, I guess, produce or reproduce and when you can kill them. So I also see that you tried the Rife machine. Was that helpful for you? So I did buy a rice machine from the U.S. from this wonderful man who had healed himself from Lyme disease just using the rice machine. I used the rice machine for a six-month period. I will say I know a lot of people that that helped. Uh, there's a lot of people that um, have gone back to playing tennis and skiing and different things, and they just use the rice machine, you know, you know, once a week or once every couple of days, however they need to. And there are the kinds that are, you know, the lower costing kinds where you have to sit in front of it for 20 or 30 minutes. And then there's the ones that cost, you know, five or six grand and you only have to sit in front of it for about two minutes and you don't have to touch anything or hold any poles or anything like that. And I know a lot of people that have been treated by that and healed themselves by using that. The issue for me was I didn't want to have to do that for the rest of my life. I didn't want to come back home, you know, every night and sit in front of a rice machine to, to heal myself. I felt like I needed something more. So after six months of doing it, I'm like, no, there has to be something that 100% gets me back to normal, heals me completely. And, you know, and then I can use the rice machine when I have just random symptoms here and there. And I still have it to this day. I sometimes use it when I have a headache, <laughs> well, back pain. It's interesting. It tends to make a difference or at least lower the grade level of the migraine or lower the grade level of the pain. So I love it as a, as a tool for me just in my regular health, but I didn't find it got me uh, where I wanted to be. And I just felt, okay, next. <laughs> that was my say, next. <laughs> so moving on to next, uh, you also tried the infrared sauna. Was that helpful for you in detoxing? 
Yes. So what was great is when I moved out of my parents' house, when I was finally feeling around the 75 or 80% better, I moved out of my parents' house and I moved in with a friend and we moved in together. And our house, it was meant for us because it had a built-in infrared sauna. The man who owned the house was a fireman and he had built a sauna just outside the (laughs) the side door. Um, And I started using it and it, you know, the Epsom baths were amazing at helping, but sauna just, if I was feeling any sort of flare-ups or symptoms, and because the heat was really great for me, and I know some people have issues with heat based on what their symptoms are, but I've always been, like, since I was born, sort of a, a chilled person, like cold, feeling the cold really, like, deep in my bones. So heat's always been an amazing source of any kind of healing with anything for me. So I found the sauna to be amazing. Um, I was also doing lymph drainage massages around the same time, like doing them sort of interchangeably. One week would be the sauna, the next week would be lymph drainage. And I do feel it made a difference because I was able to, I had more energy, I was able to do more, I was able to sleep a little better. Uh, Instead of full insomnia, I could at least sleep four hours a night. And it was definitely making a difference helping me do that and helping with a lot of the body pain. One of the most interesting things that I noted on your questionnaire was that you changed your nutrition and your diet and also use supplements based on DNA testing. Can you talk more about that and how you did that? You know, when you do your research on, on illnesses like Lyme disease through the forums that, you know, you always join when you want to know more, you see a lot of these things that pop up about what people are doing or what they can do. I chose at the time when I was seeing my first doctor in Buffalo to do the 23andMe test. It is a spit test. Um, you just go online, you order it. Um, There is a cost to it, and they send it to you in the mail. It gives you full instructions, plus you can go online and see a video on how to do it. And you spit in a tube. You put the tube in the package, and you send it off. Um, There is a place here in Ontario that actually um, takes them and and tests them. And then they send you back. It takes about four to six weeks, and through email, they send you a notice that your results are in. And it gives you all kinds of information, uh, genetic coding, uh, your synapses, your SNPs they're called, pathways in your body and what they look like. And then you take that information and you put it into a third-party site that I use the one called LiveWello. But there are so many. If you just Google, um, you know, um, 23andMe genetic testing, all kinds come up. And, and some of them are free and some of them have a cost. And you submit it through there. And what comes back is your codes that a doctor can use, certain doctors who are trained in genetic testing can use to see what else is going on in your body that may be preventing you from healing or maybe something that, you know, you collected from your parents. I know I have genetic stuff that I collected from my mother and father that they collected from their, you know, sort of mother and father that have are now in me. And it's just all about sort of working on those codes and, and healing any sort of genetic challenges or defects that you might have in your body. How did you move forward with using that data to make informed decisions <laughs> with your health? So I had the information and I ha- my doctor in Buffalo, she kind of used it a little bit. My naturopath here sort of used it as well, but it, it was so new to all of them and it was something that hadn't been used before and there wasn't a lot of information on it. And one thing that happened is in part of my stalking of Dr. Horowitz, <laughs> we'll call it, I had discovered that Omega Institute and all the amazing things they, they do. And I was at this point willing to try anything to get better. And I'd found out John of God was coming to the Omega Institute around the same time. So I said, okay. So 
I said to my friend, we're going to see John of God. <laughs> you know, I, I've never been a, a really religious person. I do believe in higher power and, and the universe and spiritual beliefs and, and things like that. But I've never been a person who goes to church or on a regular basis or sort of, you know, has been part of that. But I do believe in God. I do believe in a higher power. And I have my own relationship with that uh, spirituality. So I said, I'm going to go see John of God. And we went. Wow, it was an amazing experience. What was interesting was the people that went with me that weren't there to be treated for Lyme disease all had sort of an awakening or an experience where after John of God did what he does, they all fell asleep for the next 12 hours and I didn't have anything. So it was quite a disappointing <laughs> weekend for me. I was, I was so upset because I felt like they're having this you know, change and they're healing and nothing's happening to me. But <laughs> I do believe there was a reason why I was supposed to be there. We were at this tiny little bed and breakfast in New York, and the lady who owns the place is an intuitive healer, and she came up to me and said, there's someone staying here who was also at the John of God retreat, and you have to go talk to her. She knows more about like Lyme disease and genetics and things than I've ever heard, and I truly believe she can help you. So I walk into this room, and there's this woman. Her name is Terry, and she's sitting in this room and introduces herself to me, and she started just... I don't even know how to explain it. Just talking to me about genetics. And she touched my head and said, oh, and she immediately said to me, you have this, 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 this in you. And she basically laid out all the stuff that my blood tests already had confirmed, but she confirmed it with just touching me. And she started talking about how, you know, Lyme disease takes over the body and how, you know, how you heal from it is, you know, you do the drugs for a while, but then you have to change things and try other things because then uh, the bacteria, it, it's really smart and it changes it. And the, the drugs don't start to work after a while and different things like that is what she started saying. And I just kept saying to her, I feel like this is where I'm at. Like I intuitively just felt like the drugs worked. They were amazing. I 100% if someone's bedridden, if they're very, very sick, I 100% believe in taking drugs to get better if you can handle them. And I was one of the lucky ones where the drugs didn't cause any serious side effects or any issues with me. And my doctor here in Canada was just, he was sort of monitoring me through it. And he was just like, I can't believe like you're okay. <laughs> I give people these kinds of drugs for like very serious illnesses and they're, you know, not okay, but you're like, your body's handling it really well. So she said to me, I do everything naturally and I change a person's diet. Because what's happening is you're probably eating foods that are causing inflammation in your body and you have an overgrowth of inflammation and the inflammation is keeping your body constantly active so you're not able to heal and your body's not able to rest. So she immediately said, I, like she had a waiting list of, I think it was six months long, but I don't know, she was just really sweet or really liked me and she said, I will see you. She checked her calendar next weekend. She was going to come in on a Saturday just to see me, even though she doesn't work Saturdays. And, you know, me and my friends started crying because <laughs> we were so grateful. And I don't know how to explain it, but I just knew she was the one. <laughs> my brain just said, this is her. Like, this is the one. I, I don't know how to explain it. I just, I knew that she was going to heal me. So I, we made an appointment. I believe it was October, October of 2016. I had a point with her. We drove all the way to Virginia, 12-hour drive with all the stuff went into her office on a Saturday and she did some muscle testing where she puts vials in your hand and muscle tests you for what foods you can and can't eat. She changed my diet completely, took things out that are healthy, kale, 
broccoli, cauliflower, all these things that are very, you know, common, especially in sort of a Greek diet that I was eating every day. She said, nope, you're going to take these all out. She put me on a group of supplements and she would gradually bring them in. I really liked what I liked about her. She personalized my treatment for my body by looking at my 23andMe testing and my genetic testing. And she started talking about, oh, you, your sulfur pathway is blocked. You have this, you have that. If we fix all those pathways, then the treatment will work. It sounded amazing to me. She said, give me three months and I will get you back to normal. And I just remember looking at her going, yeah, right. This has been almost two years <laughs> of me dealing with this. I don't think so. But, but I, I said, I'm going to do everything she tells me. And I'm a great patient. Doctors love me because I do exactly what they say because I promised myself no matter what, I was never going to be able to blame myself if I didn't get better. So I wanted to make sure if they say you're going to eat this, you're going to take this, you're going to inject this, you're going, to, you're going to wake up at this time, you're going to go to bed at this time, I said, yes, I will do everything you say. And every one of my doctors was so surprised because I followed their protocol to a T. And I said, if, it, if something doesn't work, I don't want to ever say it's because I had that piece of chocolate that day. <laughs> and so I followed her diet. And I got to tell you, three months later, I go back to see her. And it was an amazing appointment because she said to me, tell me what your symptoms are. And in my mind, I'm still sick. <laughs> and I, I couldn't think of one symptom. I, I couldn't think of one symptom. And this was February of 2017. And she looked at me, she said, Joanna, and she muscle tested me again. And I passed on everything. And she said, Joanna, you're healed. It's gone. Like, I don't even feel it in you anymore. And I just, I just remember sitting there going, no, it can't be right. It can't be three months later. I'm better. <laughs> and she said, Joanna, you're, you have to trust it. You have to believe it. <laughs> and yeah, that's, and I'll be honest, I had the most amazing eight months, was it? Unfortunately, I was in a car accident, but before the car accident, I was having the most amazing time. I had more energy than I've probably ever had in my life, even before ever getting sick. My birthday was on August 21st. In 2017, there was a, an eclipse that happened, a solar eclipse on August 21st on my birthday. I felt it was a sign that I needed to go to the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee and stand at the top of them and watch the solar eclipse. So I drove 14 and a half hours, just me driving with my friend's 15-year-old daughter in the car with me. And I was able to do the whole drive, no problem, with full energy. We drove right to the top of that mountain and watched the solar eclipse, and it was the most amazing experience of my life. And I don't think I would have been able to do that before, you know, being sick or before any of that. And that's all because of this, per this amazing woman in Virginia. So, Joanna, how are you feeling today? So, I actually am back to feeling, I would say, 99% normal. There's some things lingering from, unfortunately, a car accident I was in. But I feel great. Like I am 100% recovery. I don't call it remission because I just believe if you call it remission, it's, it's leading you to believe it'll come back. And I've cleared that fear. <laughs> it's not coming back. I'm not worried about it coming back. Um, you know, I, I feel 100% back to normal. I'm living my life again. I'm doing all the things that I want to do. And my life's completely different than it was before. And it's so much more full and better. And I appreciate things so much more. And it's great. Yes, I feel 100% back to normal. Just like I said, a couple of things that I go to physiotherapy for, but they're related to a car accident and not at all, in my opinion, related to the Lyme disease. Joanna, when you were going on your healing journey, which included many trips, and you were doing that work, 
your work was also working on you and you began to do some work where you were outreaching to folks in the Lyme community. I knew that I wanted to help others that were experiencing this. And I think a lot of people go through this sort of change for themselves. Once you experience any kind of trauma, especially with your health, and you start to realize how people can suffer. And I had never experienced anything quite like this kind of suffering before in my life. I, I actually live a pretty normal life, normal parents, regular, you know, kid, sister, brother, parents, stayed married. Like I never had any sort of serious trauma happen in my life. No one passed away that it was, I was close to at, at, up to that point. So this was my first experience understanding, oh my gosh, there's people suffering out there and they're not going to get any help here in Canada. And they might not have the kinds of people in their lives that I had. I had people dropping everything to drive me wherever I needed to go, whenever I needed it. I had people raise funds for me because my treatment was very, very expensive through all these experiences. And, you know, I'm Greek, the Greek community uh, here in Toronto and the Pondian, they're sort of a, a dance group who do fundraising for different things. They heard about me and they put me as part of their fundraising. My friend in Niagara, the professor at Brock University, did a GoFundMe. So I just came to this realization of how lucky I was that all these things happened for me and I was able to pay for my treatment because I don't know what I would have done if I couldn't have paid for it. I wouldn't be here today or healthy if I couldn't have paid for this treatment. And I just thought, like, in the U.S., I know there's quite a few groups that raise money, Limelight Foundation and different groups that I've heard of. Um, actually, uh, the person that I started the charity with met these people. She would fly out because I couldn't fly and she would meet some of these groups and had amazing sort of experiences with them and learning from them. And I remember saying to my friends, I want to start something that helps people here in Canada because we don't have any funding or any help here and we don't have doctors that'll help. But I'd love to send them to some of the doctors I've seen. I'd love, I'd love to be able to help them pay for it and just to raise awareness here in Canada. So uh, we started an organization called Lime Out Loud Kids Canada. It became really my life for a while and we put on an amazing event which still to this day when I look back I am so proud of what everyone who was involved did we put on this event April of 2017 and this event brought in Dr. Horowitz came obviously he's my doctor he said 100% he was supporting it we brought in Professor uh, Christian Perone from France who helped change some of the laws in France in regards to the way doctors are harassed if they're treating Lyme patients or, or attacked so we helped get them some protection. Uh, we brought in, you know, some very famous vets who work with sort of the FBI and different groups in Washington. And it was just absolutely sort of an amazing experience. And we had, I believe it was almost 300 people show up. We were all over the news and we had patients and advocates and politicians show up. And, and we definitely raised awareness about Lyme disease and that it's a serious issue here in Canada, not something to brush under the rug like we have been. And that led to some interesting things happening just out of that. Some connections were made. Uh, there's a woman named Rosanna Magnata. She runs the G. Magnata Foundation. Her husband had passed away from Lyme disease. She came to our event and she was able to make some pretty amazing connections, which she already had before <laughs> she ever came to us, but she was able to add to those connections. She created a research facility at a university here in, in Ontario and they're doing research on treatment and ticks and trying to get help for Canadians and really the world. And it was just an amazing event that helped a lot of people get access to some of the doctors that I have had access to. They were actually able, some of them, even to book time with Dr. Horowitz. 
after talking with him, um, and he felt he wanted to help some more Canadians, um, and also talk to Dr. Perone and get some advice. Armin was there from Armin Labs. He actually was able to talk to people about getting some tests so that they can at least confirm if they have Lyme disease. So I did feel like that one event at least got people access and information that they hadn't had before. Uh, I got a lot of messages afterwards for people being grateful because one woman, uh, this woman, April, was in a wheelchair. Through that event, she learned so much. She was able to go to one of the many doctors that I was seeing, and she's now walking it out of the wheelchair. So I'm actually ecstatic about that. I see her Facebook posts all the time. So she's slowly getting better, um, and she has a lot of support as well. So the event was was our big sort of catalyst of what we had been leading up to. Unfortunately, due to the car accident, I did step away Uh, at least for now, from Lime Out Loud Kids Canada. But um, my business partner at the time and some of the other people who were involved are sort of carrying the torch. But we we were raising awareness and our focus was children because children are, you know, sort of the most vulnerable. They're out in the grass all the time. You know, they don't check themselves. They don't even think about bugs, uh, you know, crawling all over them. So I just really wanted to help families and kids. And in my mind, how do kids deal with being sick? because they're not getting any sort of help. The doctors are saying it's in their head. I could fight the doctors. I was saying, nope, it's not in my head. I'm moving on. A child can't really say that. So I definitely wanted to make sure I focused on a group that was vulnerable and didn't have a voice for themselves. And that's sort of what Lime Out Loud has been about. Like out loud, let's talk out loud about what's happening to children uh, when it comes to Lyme disease here in Canada. So I'm going to ask you to now take the next step and become a tech hacker. In our tech hacking community, we ask folks like you who have had the experiences that you've had and you've had the additional experience of doing the work with Lime Out Loud to now share with our listeners what you would do if you woke up tomorrow morning and you found a tick biting you on the leg. Oh boy, yeah, scary thought, I know. And I think about these things because you have to once you go through this. So I have a plan in place (laughs) and this is going to sound interesting. If I lived with someone, if I was in a relationship dating and lived with someone currently, it would be a different plan. But here's my plan. (laughs) If I was to find a tick on me, I have a friend, a very good friend who both her children have Lyme disease. And she is a whiz at removing ticks. (laughs) Her dogs get ticks on them all the time from their backyard. So she's a whiz. So I've already made it very clear to her. And she lives very close to me. I find a tick on me, I'm driving straight to your house, you're taking it out because i you know, who knows where it's sitting. I don't think I'd be able to take it out of myself if it's on my back or the back of my arm or if it's somewhere that's not accessible for me. If it's on my leg or somewhere where I can access it, I will take it off myself. (laughs) But being a single woman, you have to plan these kinds of things, (laughs) how you're going to deal with it if it's somewhere where you can't reach it and you need someone to get it out. And I wouldn't just pick anyone because we know that you have to be very careful and get it right at the tip of the mouth and you don't want to crush it, so I would not want to take any risks. I would go straight to my expert friend, (laughs) call her immediately, and she would take it out. My backup is also a member of my family, (laughs) would be the backup. I also, there's a hospital very close to me. I would be willing to go there if none of those people are available and and have them remove it if it's in a spot that I can't personally remove it myself because I only trust myself and a few other people. Uh, The next thing I would do, there's a few pastes that I've learned that can be used to try and drag out anything that might have been just even a little bit put in you, uh, like a charcoal paste, as well as a diatomaceous earth paste that you can make using like coconut oil and just mixing it together. And I would put it on top of uh, the spot where it bit me. 
and I would make sure that anything that might have just been left even on the surface was sort of dragged out with that. And then I would put some antiseptic with a cotton ball and uh, make sure that there's nothing there and just monitor myself and watch what happens next and make sure I still have my doctors on speed dial just in case. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Joanna Petrakis. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Joanna Petrakis and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at Lyme. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite Blueprint. This was inspired by information that we've gained from our podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any improvement suggestions you would like to offer us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your past comments, and we would appreciate you taking a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, Instagram, or our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.